What in the name of cash grabs is going on? Caroline Fenton from Locked On LSU joins the show to talk about the SEC trying to steal that rivalry away. You are Locked On Ole Miss, your daily podcast on the Ole Miss Rebels, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks for making this Locked On podcast your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcast. Um, we're doing a crossover episode today with Locked On LSU, talking about the abhorrent decision, potentially, that the SEC could make to get rid of this famous Ole Miss LSU game amongst like the Deep South's oldest rivalry, Tennessee and Florida. All of these games are on the chopping block. Caroline, it, it, it just makes no sense. It makes no sense whatsoever, and I will always say I'm never going to get anyone in trouble or get mad at someone for something that they haven't done yet. It's like when I get myself all worked up about the thought of LSU losing to Florida State, I'm like, I cannot get mad because they haven't done it yet. So I can't get overly mad at the SEC for this decision because it hasn't been made yet, but I think that the sheer fact and the sheer idea that an eight-game schedule is still not even just on the table but being highly considered and based off of what Greg Sankey said at the SEC spring meetings makes me think that that's his preference, and I think that alone is enough to get angry about. Because I said this on Locked in LSU, and I'll reiterate it here. I think that what makes the SEC so great and so special and so fun is not just those primary rivalries. It's not just the Iron Bowl. It's not just the Egg Bowl. As fun as those rivalries are, it's about the secondary and tertiary rivalries. It's about LSU and Ole Miss. It's about Florida, Tennessee. It's about all of these rivalries that have kind of been born over time. And they're so heated and so fun. And sometimes they're even more fun than your typical Alabama-Auburns. So it's abandoning those rivalries, I think, is abandoning the core of what the SEC is truly great at. And that is being good from top to bottom. That is being competitive on any given Saturday. The thought of not going to the Grove and not going to Oxford every other year honestly makes me sick to my stomach. (laughs) Yeah, and and not only that, LSU and Alabama, that has been the CBS primetime game probably nine out of the last ten years. That's on the chopping block, too. And that is the the frustrating thing that goes along with the the secondary and tertiary Mm. rivalries is LSU-Alabama, although it's not Alabama-Auburn, if there's going to be one rivalry that's maintained, I understand you understand every quote-unquote rival of Alabama understands that. But LSU-Alabama has been much more competitive and much more neck-and-neck and much more of appointment watching at least over the last five to 10 years than Alabama-Auburn has. Alabama-Auburn has had its fair share of craziness and drama and the kick six, but it's it's a rivalry that goes back, you know, before time. It's a rivalry that more often than not decides the SEC West. And I know that there's not going to be an SEC West anymore, but the thought of, you know, two of the most historically of the most competitive teams in this division, not playing every single year. It just doesn't feel right. And I know I'm speaking a lot from feeling and tradition and rivalries, but I think when it comes to just the competition of the game, you want the best two teams in the Southeastern conference to represent the conference in Atlanta. I don't know how you can decide that 
if the historical best teams don't play head-to-head. And that doesn't just apply to LSU Alabama. It applies to Georgia and to Florida and to Tennessee and to Ole Miss. All of these teams that have been in, in consideration not have those games on a yearly basis is doing your, yourself a disservice and is doing your fans a disservice. I, I did a show yesterday about two things. First of all, I think that it's time for the SEC to give the fans something. They've, they've been take, take, take from the fans for so many years. You can just give the fans something back by going to a nine-game schedule and preserving these rivalries because the fans are going to take this as something else that has been taken away. You have players that are going away in the transfer portal. They're asking for you to donate money for the collectives. Uh, they're doing all of this stuff. It's $9 for a hot dog in the stadium. It just feels like the fans are taking lick after lick after lick, and it's time for them to give the fans something back. And the other point I made is ESPN, I think, is out of money. If the SEC is hoping that ESPN is going to all of a sudden offer them more money after they just offered them $3 billion for the CBS package, that, that seems almost like extortion at this point. And if you're willing to take your ball and go home after that and make the fans punished again, th- that is a horrible look. Well, that's what it's all about. It is all about money. If ESPN was willing to put forth, I believe what I read was $5 million per school for that extra um, ninth conference game. If ESPN was willing to do that, I think that this would be a no-brainer move. I don't think that we would be talking about this today. If ESPN said, hey, Greg Zanke, you're giving us one more more quality matchup a year, then yeah, we'll compensate you for it. A nine-game schedule would have been decided, and that would have been the end of it. So that's the frustrating thing is I feel like Greg Sankey constantly feeds us stuff about tradition and rivalries and player safety. Well, don't tell me you care about rivalries whenever Texas and Texas A&M aren't playing every year, when LSU and Ole Miss aren't playing every year. Don't tell me that you care about player safety when Greg Sankey was one of the biggest motivators and catalysts in a 12-game playoff. You don't think those extra games can affect player safety as well? If they did a 12-game playoff, or 12-team playoff, rather, because of money. A nine-game conference schedule does not financially give the SEC any sort of advantage, so they're not going to do it. And that, I think, is, you know, don't tell me you care about the fans. Don't tell me you care about fan experience, and don't tell me that you care about tradition when obviously your number one priority is money. And that's fine. It's not SEC.gov. It is a for-profit business. But when you start to abandon the things that have made up the core of this conference, then that's when I start to have an issue. Absolutely. And just for people watching this show or listening to it on the podcast, we're recording this on a Wednesday. So by the time this actually airs on Friday, there's about 15,000 different things that could happen. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, we could be completely railing on stuff, but it's still going to air on Friday because this weekend's my birthday weekend, and I'm trying to get a three-dayer out of this. Happy early birthday. Thank you very much. Uh, You know what? When we come back, I'm going to give Caroline and let her know my projection of how the SEC can make money the good old-fashioned American way by having a ninth conference game. But first, I do want to let you know that today's show is brought to you by FanDuel. Make... Make FanDuel, make it an important deal. You know, something you can go. You go into the playoffs and bet on all the games and everything. I do realize that in Mississippi it is a brick-and-mortal casino, but if you are where Caroline is in Tennessee, if you are who Caroline supports in Louisiana, 
you can use the FanDuel Sports app and you can get a no sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's $2,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win. But like I said, Mississippi's brick and mortar. You got to go in. But if you travel to New Orleans, Baton Rouge, Monroe, Louisiana, no, Delta, Louisiana. We don't say Delta, Louisiana. If you are going up to Memphis, to Nashville, heading over to Gatlinburg or Knoxville, you can hit the FanDuel app. It's safe and secure. You get paid instantly. It's really good thing. And there's no better place to bet all the playoff action than America's number one sports book. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and get a no sweat first bet of up to $2,500. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. Thanks again for making the Locked On podcast your first listen every day. Every day is tomorrow on my show. We will continue to talk about this story that is completely going on because if it's this temporary eight-game thing, which really feels like a bridge to permanence um, to me, um, we're going to talk about all of that other stuff as well. But just as I promised before the break, Caroline, I do want to tell you my idea of how the SEC can make money with a ninth conference game. And that is simple. On Thursday or Friday night each week, pick a day, pick both days, alternate them. It doesn't matter. Have the SEC network broadcast a conference game every week. That is the extra game. You own part of the SEC network, so the revenues that come off of that is going into your coffers. It is the good old-fashioned American way of earning what you want, and that would solve all the problems to me. Pick your Thursday night, the first one of the season, you can go back, it's Georgia and South Carolina. You know, you just mix them up, and I think it would work. And look, I think you and I both are in the camp of if it's on, I'm watching it. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's a replay. I don't care if it's March and you're playing, you know, the the Ole Miss Alabama game from this past season. I'm going to watch it because it's on. Mm-hmm. I was watching the LSU Alabama game highlights last night and I'm like getting nervous. Like I don't know the outcome of it. So I don't think it's a bad idea, but I don't think that ESPN is in the business or the SEC rather. I don't think the SEC is in the business of trying to earn any money. I think the SEC wants to have that money in their pockets because that's what we've learned since Texas and Oklahoma said that they were going to come to the SEC. I mean, the floodgates just broke open. Now it was a full-on arms race to be the most powerful conference, to be the most competitive conference, to be the conference with the biggest TV deal. And even though the Big Ten's TV deal technically is bigger than the SEC's, I think we've all learned that there's a, a whole lot of caveats there. The SEC is the most dominant conference on and off the field. And the SEC really can demand things that they want. The SEC knows that their product is a premier product. And if they want to go somewhere else with it, they can. I think the SEC needs to be able to flex their muscle as much as they possibly can. I think the SEC should practice their leverage as much as they possibly can. They can go to ESPN and say, hey, look, in 2024, we're going to go to a nine-game schedule. We're going to have to, one, probably pay off one of the non-conference games on our schedule. You know, you know, South Carolina Upstate, here's $2 million. Sorry about that. Sorry for the confusion. We'll move on. So ESPN can compensate that and then also for the additional game. I don't hate that idea in the slightest because I think that any path to a nine-game conference schedule, I'm listening. I am all ears. 
put our heads together. Let's make the best possible solution so we can get those three permanent rivalries. So we get LSU at Ole Miss every single year. Unfortunately, I think the SEC just wants money in their pockets and they want it now. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a sad thing. Although, like I said, on yesterday's show, I did this thing to where I think ESPN has lost just the main mothership channel. They've lost 2 million subscribers since December. And what people need to realize, that's the equivalent of about $20 million per month that they're losing. So that's the reason I do not think that they're going to do that because ESPN2, they lost, they're losing money there if they're losing it on ESPN. Everything on cable is going down, and that is a huge catalog for Disney. So that's probably in the neighborhood of $100 million, $150 million a month once you add it all up. And, and, and it's not political, anything's going on. It's about cord cutting. It's about the fact that you can go to YouTube TV right now because that's where NFL Sunday's ticket lives. And all of a sudden, they're not, you're not locked into Spectrum. You're not locked into Comcast. And because of that, the might that ESPN once had, they don't really have it anymore. It's, like I said, it's not necessarily anything's going on other than the fact that cable is what newspapers were in 1997. Right. It's a it's a totally different media landscape these days, because in all honesty, I'm a, I'm a cord cutter. I have YouTube TV. I have like 17 different streaming services, Netflix, HBO Max, all of this stuff to be able to watch the shows I want to watch, to be able to watch the, the games that I want to watch and need to watch. So I am one of in that generation of people who just I don't see the benefit of having cable. And you're seeing that come to fruition in networks. It's not just ESPN. It's Fox. It's NBC. It's CBS. They're all struggling. And these media rights deals, they're really, really tricky. Uh, but I think the way that I've seen the Big Ten deal go down versus the SEC deal with ESPN, the SEC and ESPN, they're, they're in lockstep. You know, there's no hidden at least to my knowledge, you know, hidden small print. There's no misunderstanding. There's no things that were promised that actually can't be, you know, delivered. Like with the Big Ten, for example, the Big Ten's former commissioner promised the Big Ten Conference Championship game in 2026, both to NBC and to Fox. Like that's, that is a massive problem. So at least we can take solace in the fact that I don't think that the SEC has ever, nor will it, will it ever under Greg Sankey, do their business like that. But it, it is frustrating to me that Greg Sankey and ESPN, it seems from the outside looking in, like they've done good business together, that the SEC is going to be one of the ESPN's most premier products if it isn't already, and the SEC is now bending the knee to ESPN because ESPN doesn't have the cash to cough up. Care about your product, and you also have to care about your payday. You know, we need, we all need to get paid. You know, everybody needs a paycheck. But care about your product and your audience and your teams and your member teams first. Greg Sankey is going to be able to find a way to justify not going to nine games. He mentioned um, it, it's more difficult for bowl eligibility. You know, the Vanderbilts, the Kentuckys, the Missouris of the SEC, they need those four non-conference games to become bowl eligible. Fine, fair. He talks about the 2024 uh, rescheduling, how they'd have to cancel one of the non-conference games. I mean, that can be arranged. That can be dealt with. But, okay, fine, fair. You can justify all of these things, but at its core, it's all about money. And that's mm – -hmm. it's a shame. Yeah, it really is because I guess this all started – 
probably with the Longhorn Network. That's the hilarious thing of this. Whenever the Longhorn Network <laughs> was created way back when, that it just all started this race, to, and then Texas ended up in the SEC with no Longhorn Network. And it's just absolutely weird. But now that network is going to go down the line and it's going to cost Ole Miss LSU rivalry. It's just absolutely ridiculous. It's if I have to, you know, sacrifice millions of dollars, and that's easy for me to say since I don't get a paycheck from the SEC and I am not Greg Sankey, but I understand that we're now living in an age that's completely different than even just five years ago. NIL, transfer portal, conference realignment. I totally understand that. And that this is a business where if you don't keep up, you're just going to fall behind. But save me Texas and Oklahoma. Save me the extra millions of dollars. I want what I fell in love with in the first place with SEC football. And that is the rivalries, being able to see that on the field and getting that every single year. I know that Greg Sankey's whole gist with all of this is, well, you're going to play every team at least once every other year. It's just not the same. Not even a little bit. When we come back from the break, we'll explain to you why the SEC is at eight games when every other conference I think is at nine. Um, so stick around. All right. Thanks for making the Locked On Podcast your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcast, including YouTube. So do us a favor. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, especially Locked On LSU. Great show. Um, hit the subscribe button, comment, upvote, all of that stuff. We'd appreciate it very much. All right, Caroline, this is the thing that kind of gets me. The Pac-12, nine games. The Big 12, nine games. The Big, Big 10, Ten, nine games. And and nobody complains about it. It's not an issue for safety. That's the reason whenever they talk about player safety, I laugh. And You can tear an ACL or break a bone no matter who your opponent is. Yeah. Let's be real. <laughs> and also, it, when players start getting paid, which let's be honest, they are, I, I care less about that issue. Whenever it was Joe College back in 2008, going straight from his social studies class or whatever he's taken out on out on the game field or whatever, then yeah, then it was a thing. But now that you can almost take the student part out of student athletes, kind of spare me that. There is a different element to it because before there was part of me that almost held back a little bit when talking about individual college athletes of. Mm-hmm. They're kids. They're not getting paid for this. They're not getting a paycheck for this. And now it's a different vibe. It's not completely the same as the NFL, for example. Like, to me, if a quarterback throws three interceptions in a playoff game, I have no problem absolutely ripping that quarterback because he makes $30 million a year. It's not necessarily the same, but it does give it a little bit of a different vibe of, no, they're not professional athletes, but these are athletes that can cash in on their athletic ability. So we're really right in the line between amateur and professional here. So it does give it a little bit of a different feel. I'm not going to say, you know, hey, you need to play that ninth conference game because you need to earn your money because you need to earn your paycheck. No, 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 no. I think that they've already done plenty of that. NIL is a positive thing Mm -hmm. for college athletics. It's a positive thing that these players that are building their own brands and building the brands of their athletic programs that they can cash in on. It's not just the guys at the top that are stuffing their pockets. But it does it definitely add a different element of, I, I don't want to say sympathy or empathy, but it does bring a, a different element in how I approach and maybe criticize or, or view the day-to-day operations of college athletics. 
Yeah, I, I would not go after uh, Jackson Dart, for instance, um, like I would Drew Brees. Exactly, yes. It's, yeah, it's different. But, but I would go after Jackson Dart more than I would Matt Corral, if that makes sense. I, I totally hear what you're saying. <laughs> totally hear what you're saying. So, And yeah. I, I listened to your podcast yesterday. wanted to, you know, get fully prepped. Your thought about Nick Saban I thought was really interesting. Uh, your claim that you know, this the, Nick Saban did complain. Let's be real. He was a cry baby about Alabama's three proposed um, permanent opponents, Auburn, LSU, and, and Tennessee. He was crying about it. And I think it's interesting because I do think that Nick Saban has more pull and more say and more influence in the SEC than any other coach has in any other conference in college football. But I do think part of it is if the if ESPN, like I mentioned, did cough up those extra $5 million, they'd say, sorry, Nick, deal with it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And the other thing I, say is, uh, I said was, you don't hear anything out of Georgia. Not a thing. Yeah. Yeah, they would play 12 conference games tomorrow. Because they know that they're the alpha dog of this conference right now. And it's weird thinking about it because everybody just says Alabama's the gold standard and all of this. But no, Alabama right now, they're at least number two in the conference. And depending on what's going on in Baton Rouge, who also is pro nine-game playoff, and Brian Kelly is all for it. And it's just weird to hear Alabama, Kentucky, South Carolina, Mississippi State, and Arkansas – one of those, one of those is not like the, not like the yeah. other. Exactly. Jinx. It's <laughs> you, you cannot tell me any given Saturday, don't care who our opponent is, go out and win the games, doesn't matter who you're playing. You can't tell me that whenever you get that opportunity and you step away from it. I feel like for the longest time, Alabama and Nick Saban lived in this ivory tower and just felt like they were above everybody else. And let's be honest, it's because they were. And that tastes like vinegar coming out of my mouth but it's the truth at this point there are teams that are closing the gap on Alabama Georgia I would say at this point in recent history has eclipsed Alabama LSU is closing that gap Tennessee has has started to close that gap we'll see what Tennessee is this year and with LSU as well Um, but Alabama no longer lives in an ivory tower they are no longer holier than thou so prove to everyone that you are still the best, that you believe that you're still the best, and you're willing to prove that against the best. I said this on Locked in LSU. I was so proud that LSU was pro nine-game schedule because it aligns with the identity of this program that we don't care who we play. We'll out-tough you. We'll outplay you. And if you out-tough us and outplay us, then hats off to you. Something that I've noticed with LSU's schedule, that so many times we we open se- uh, our seasons – with a Florida State, with a Miami, with a Wisconsin, with an Oregon, with a UCLA. And for so many years, I thought, can you please just start the season with a cupcake? Can we please just get a guaranteed win? But it's something that I've kind of grown to appreciate that, hey, we might start the season 0-1, but we'll prove to everybody that we're not afraid of competition. I understand Mississippi State and Kentucky and Arkansas and Missouri and Vanderbilt, but Alabama, if you want to be the top dog, then act like it. Yeah, and Mississippi State, this is one of the most embarrassing things. And this isn't even an egg bowl thing. I'm not even doing an egg bowl thing right now. <laughs> but this is about this is one of the most embarrassing things I ever heard. It was like 10 years ago, they played Oregon State and Houston in that September game, when it, like just like y'all did with Florida State over Labor right. Day. 
And they lost that game to Oklahoma State, and there was such outright outrage from the fan base. The athletic director apologized for scheduling that game and promised never to do it again. Please. Yeah. Please. I mean, yeah. it's it's a really humbling feeling to start this season 0-1, but learn a little bit more about your program. You'll say, okay, that was we played just against a really good opponent. These were some positive things we can take away. These are things that we'll need to learn and work on going through the season. And I do believe that makes you a better team. LSU lost that opening game against Florida State, and I was just about ready to jump off a cliff. But, I mean, if I, if you would have told me after that Florida State game, hey, you're going to beat Alabama and you'll go to Atlanta. I'd say, okay, that's fine. Then I can live with this loss against Florida State. So it's definitely a very humbling experience, but I think that you learn a lot about your team when doing it. Don't step away from the competition. Absolutely. Before we get out of here, I do want to ask you, was there any real worry that Garrett Nussmeyer was going to leave? There was. Oh, I can speak from my perspective. The worry for me came from what would happen if he left. Like LSU really honestly would have been screwed. Jaden Daniels would have been the starter, and then you would have had Ricky Collins, a true freshman, as the only other quarterback in that room. And that would have been, you know, panic attack mode. Um, so I think that I was more worried about what would have happened if he transferred. But the growing sentiment after this past season, even after Brian Kelly said, you know, Jaden Daniels is our starter after the Citrus Bowl in January, the growing sentiment was Garrett Nussmeyer's okay with that. He's going to stay in the room. He wants to play at LSU. He'd rather sit on the bench at LSU than play anywhere else, uh, which I respect. And I also, to the other side of that, never blame any player for wanting to try and find a better opportunity elsewhere. Somebody asked me, I did a mailbag Wednesday on Lockdown LSU. They said, if you were Garrett Nussmeyer, would you have transferred? I was like, look, that's a really tough question because I've been worrying so long about him transferring and wanting him to say. But to be completely honest with you, if I was in his, his position where he probably could have been a starting quarterback at any other team in the SEC, honestly, I probably would have. <laughs> yeah, um, and also thank you for Walker Howard, by the way. My goodness. Take care of him. He is a special, <laughs> special, special player and a special person. Yeah, there, um, there were people that I was talking about that had seen him practice during spring. And they just kept saying, Eli, Eli. And and for an old Miss, it's like the expectation. And um and he came out in the spring game and just absolutely balled out. So he's going to red shirt. I think he's going not going to red shirt. He's going to um, be the number two quarterback behind whoever wins the starting job at Ole Miss, either Jackson or Spencer. And I think it's gonna be Jackson. And then um, Walker Howard will actually be the backup, and whoever is the, the third quarterback will just kind of be the third quarterback. Do you think Spencer would, would transfer after this season? If, or is this yeah, his last year of eligibility? This, this is his last year. I think there's, I think there's um, a chance that he's gone before August. If that it looks like, me. Yeah. If, if he can graduate from Ole Miss to where he can graduate transfer, uh-huh. I, I, I think that possibly would happen. It's a really interesting quarterback situation at Ole Miss, but you've got a really good one in Walker Howard. That's another reason why I want the LSU Ole Miss game to happen every year. I want to see Walker Howard every year. Actually, I want to see Jamie Howard with Walker Howard playing quarterback for Ole Miss. That's what I want to see. <laughs> the full uh, Howard duo. Uh-huh. Yeah, and for people don't know that don't know, Jamie Howard was a quarterback back in the 90s at LSU, um, Walker's dad. 
So, Caroline, thank you so much for stopping by, and thanks for making the Locked On Podcast your first listen every day. Every day is on my show tomorrow. Um, we're probably going to talk recruiting, potentially, um, with Brian Smith. What you got, Caroline? Coming up tomorrow, we are going to break down what Brian Kelly had to say with Paul Feinbaum at the SEC Spring Meetings. That's awesome. Anyway, take care, everybody. This has been the Locked On Ole Miss and Locked On LSU podcast. Tune in for the season where we're going to do this again, right, Caroline? Absolutely, we will. All right. Take care, everyone.